Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Well, actually, I wish I could see you, but I'm just trusting you're out there. The lights are very bright. Um, just before I launch into this, and we're in, we're in this um, new series, the first one was last week, of The Cross Stands Above It All, which is a, a line from a song, but obviously it's based on uh, biblical scripture, on the scriptures of, of the cross being a central icon, if you like, for us as Christians. And that's why we have the cross lying down here, as we're in this period of Lent and we're moving into a time of Easter. I just want to say before that, a, a big thank you. You, you. I think some of you are realizing that we're trying something different at the beginning of the service, where we have something playing, which actually because we do think about these things, is the song The Cross Stands Above It All. And it gives you a little countdown to come and sit down. And uh, today was great, because people, I think, are getting it, and they're coming and sitting down. And um, it just helps us to get uh, to stick to time, which I know blesses you as well, uh, if people are starting the service sitting down at the end of that finishing. So for those of you who haven't realized that's what's happening, that is what we are trying to do. Um, and we want, we want to get this balance, really, of... Um, everyone feeling really welcome and and if you are new here today particularly we really want to welcome you we love having you with us and please do make yourself known to us coffee is always served from 10 30 but by 10 45 we're aiming to be all sitting down and ready to go and that's why we've got that song that gradually gets louder and louder that makes it harder and harder for you to talk by the coffee hatch um very subtle you know i when i sat down over there um, the, the, the talk that we're, doing, that we're looking at today, I think this passage is, is a tough one and it brings challenge to us. It's, Nathan, is there any way those lights can go down just a little bit, please? I think I'm, I will go blind if I stand under these for too long. Thank you. Um, I think it's a really tough um, passage, but it's one that brings life. It's one that brings life. Um, Pippa, my wife, said to me, just as we sat, sat down over there, she said, how's, how's it gone? How's your preparation gone for it? Because I tend to come in a bit early in the morning on a Sunday morning to, to finish off the talk. And I said, I don't know. It's one of those ones where we'll see what happens when it, when it comes out. You know, sometimes you prepare, but you just quite don't, don't quite know what it's going to come out like. And you know what she said? She's a doctor. She said, that's what I say to patients just before I squeeze an abscess. Do you see what I have to put up with? I was looking for encouragement. Intimizer. <laughs> Sorry, Pip. Um, so Colossians 3. And we've, last week we looked at the beginning of Colossians. And I just want to... The, the phrase that we're particularly looking at is, is this, Come, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. I wonder how you feel when you hear that phrase being said. Deny yourself, take up your cross. It's the, it's, the, it's the words of Jesus, the invite of Jesus to you and me. What do you feel inside when you hear those words? Deny yourself and take up your cross. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is just? That he is a good father who wants the good things for you in your life? If you do, if I do, then we're prepared to hear those words as an invite to life. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross. Because as we go to that place, we go through in the way that Christ did to the other side, to the place of a resurrection, to the place of new life. But the Christian message, the Christian message of being a disciple is all about taking up your cross, denying yourself to 
denying those things in our lives that are not of his kingdom, taking them to the cross so that God, through his mercy and through his love, can bring resurrection in our lives, a new life. Becoming a follower of Jesus is about becoming a disciple, a learner of his ways. The first Christians were called Christians as a, as a derogatory term, little Christs. Little Christs. And it was like a derogatory term. You're just little Christs because they were living in the way that Jesus did. It's actually a, a kind of backhanded compliment, isn't it? That's, I hope that's what people would say about me, that they would see in my life something of who he is working its way out. That increasingly, as I learn to be a follower of him, his life would be revealed in me. As a church, we often talk about the invitation of the gospel, and we're big on that. The gospel is an invitation into the love and mercy of God, a good God who loves us and cares for us, and uh, who by what he did on the cross enables us to be forgiven and in relationship with God. That is a beautiful message. But also as a church, also as well as that invitation, we also emphasize the challenge that being a follower of Jesus brings. We have the invitation and we have the challenge that he does love us, but he loves us so much that he will not leave us as we are. Do you, are you open to who God wants you to, be, to become? He loves us so much that he will not leave us as we are because he does that work of transformation in our lives. This is the lifelong walk of a disciple of Jesus. We are about making disciples, not just converts. We're about making disciples, followers of Jesus. And this can look like a lot of different things. When we start saying to God, yes, I trust you. You are a God who is good. You will do good things in my life. It may be hard, some of the decisions I have to make, some of the things I have to put to death, if you like. And maybe even now, the Holy Spirit starts talking to you about those things in your life that you know God has got his finger on. If that's the case, I encourage you to, in your hearts, to be saying yes to him. Show me the next steps for this God, because he is a good God, and he wants good things for you. It can look like many different things for us. There are different things that have different holds on each of us, but I suspect you will know what those things are. Are you open to him being a good God that he will do good things in your life? I want to particularly focus on one particular part of the reading we had, which is on forgiveness, where Paul is speaking to the church at Colossae, the Colossians, and he's saying, bear with each other, don't have grudges, forgive each other. I think this is really hard, it's a tough one. To, to do, but this is one of the things that God is encouraging us to do through reading this word, and this is what Paul was saying to the church in the, the Colossians. To follow Jesus is to be someone who sees that true freedom is found in actually giving up your rights to live as you want to live. And that's a dominant theme of our culture, isn't it? Freedom. That freedom is an individual thing. I have the right to live in whatever way I want to live. I have the, life, the right to choose whatever lifestyle I want to have. 
And the Christian gospel says, no, if you want to find true freedom, then you deny those parts of our nature that aren't of the kingdom of God. It's, it's, a, it's always been a subversive message, the message of Jesus. Always been a subversive, subversive message. Words can have different meet, meanings, can't they? If I was to say the word football to Daniel over here, American, he would probably be thinking in his mind, I may be wrong because you've been living in this country for a long time now, Daniel. And actually, you're, you're British as well. I should say this as well, shouldn't I? Um, he would probably in his mind be thinking of a game in which a foot very rarely comes into contact with a ball. But if I was talking to British people or English people, or, they would probably be thinking of what the Americans call soccer, which is football. Words can have <laughs> different meanings. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it can be quite comical. I have a... a, a um, let's say, an elderly relative who shall remain nameless, who I was, once rang me up to ask for help with their computer. And I was on the phone helping them to um, do whatever they needed to do on their computer. And I said to them, imagining them holding their mouse, going, you need to right-click. Do that, right-click. And um, I waited for a bit, and I heard this little tap, 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 tap on the phone. I said, what can you see? Thinking that they're going to see this little menu that comes up, you know, when you press the right button on the mouse. He said, whoops, they said, um, they said, well, I can see the word click on the screen now. Let's see what they've done. Right, click. I said, no, 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 you've got to press the right button on the mouse. But sometimes the words that we say can be misunderstood. The words that we hear we hear in very different ways. The word freedom in our culture often means freedom without any boundaries, and that doesn't lead to life. It actually leads to the opposite of freedom and gets people trapped in all sorts of horrible situations. Parents of children know this, that giving their children freedom without boundaries isn't going to end well. Our children, when they were very little, grew up for a lot of their time in a little cage to stop them being able to escape. I think they're okay. We can't close the door on their rooms anymore. But we did that so that they wouldn't harm themselves. We did that so that they wouldn't go into places or find things that would damage them. Now as they grow older and as they mature, obviously we give them freedom. They, do, they make their own choices. But the parents of children will know that you restrain freedom in order for your child to properly flourish. This is what the way of Jesus is about. It's about submitting our will to Jesus, denying ourselves in order for our lives to flourish in him. This is what Jesus did, isn't it? In his own life. He gave up his rights. Soon we'll be looking, very soon in fact, we'll be coming to the, the, the events of Easter, won't we? And we'll be looking at Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Holy Week, and then into Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And that, that story of Palm Sunday where Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey was such a subversive way of doing things. Pilate, who was... Um, 
in the employ of the, of the Roman uh, authorities, if you like. He would do something very similar, but also very different. He would come in through the west gate of Jerusalem, and he would come in with all pomp and, and, and um, a real show of might, if you like. Because as a Roman, the Roman authorities knew that they, or they thought that they had to rule with power and dominance. There was this phrase, Pax Romana, the, the, the peace of Rome. Rome brings you peace. But Rome brings you peace by dominating you. By a show of might and a show of power. And he'd march into Jerusalem. A bit like you see superpowers you know, on the news where they parade all their tanks and everything past. As a, as a show of might. Jesus entered through the east gate of Jerusalem and he came in on a donkey. And he came in a way that led him to a cross where he gave up his rights as God, as creator of the world, in order that you and I would know freedom. And that is true freedom. That is true peace. And he says to you and me, follow me in the way that I have gone. Follow me to the cross so that you too may know freedom and resurrection. On the cross, Jesus says, the pain stops here. And him giving up his rights, and he had every right, didn't he, Jesus, to get back at those who were um, inflicting pain, who were doing what they were doing to him. He had every right. But he said, no, I give up my rights in order that you and I could have the pain dealt with there and then. The pain stops here at the cross. And then we're invited in to, to be people whose lives model this. And as the passage said, Paul was saying to the people in the Colossians, become tender-hearted, become kind, become humble, become ready to put up with anything. Become able to bear with one another and able to forgive one another. The cross standing above us all is about putting on love in the way that Christ did. It's not a superficial love or peace. It's not platitudes, make peace, not war. It's not that sort of a thing. It's not a love and peace that involves no sacrifice on our behalf. It's gritty love. It's edgy peace. And it leads us to a place of hard decision. It leads us to a place of difficult choices. But if we're able to go there with Jesus, if we're able to say yes to him and trust him in this, he promises that we won't just stop at the cross, but that we will come out the other side into new resurrection life. We don't just get the dying to self, we get the resurrection and new life as well. Any sports person will tell you that to fully become the athlete that they want to be, they have to deny themselves. They have to eat certain foods and not eat other foods. They have to choose to exercise a, a regime of exercise in order to become all that they want to be as a sports person. Do you trust God enough to let him lead you to the cross on the things that you know the Holy Spirit is pressing in your life at the moment do you trust him enough to deny those things which you would choose to do sometimes which I would choose to do sometimes but you know are not things of the kingdom do you trust him that he is a good father and that the process he will take you on might be painful 
but it will lead to new life and resurrection in your life. And it will stop the pain. That's the key thing. The cross stops the pain now. Let Christ be the one who is Lord in our lives. That's what verse 15 is talking about. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. A good translation, which is why we use that translation, is the rule can be translated as referee or umpire. Let the peace of Christ referee your heart. Let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Let it be the deciding factor, the translation said. As we allow his spirit in us, it becomes like a referee, an umpire, that helps us to make those decisions. And sometimes those decisions that are really hard to make. Where It's easy for me to stand here isn't it, and say, for God is calling us to be a place of forgive- in a place of forgiveness of other people. That's easy to say. But if you've ever been in a place, and I'm sure many of us have in this room, of, having, of, of wanting to forgive but finding it very hard to forgive, that's not easy. But Christ promised to put his Holy Spirit within us to act as a referee, as an umpire, if you like, to help us to make those decisions, to help us to choose to go to that place with him. Do you trust him enough to take you to that place? And that will lead us to the cross. It looks, people who do this look like people who are learning to forgive to put to death the desire to get even or to hold a grudge. And forgiveness isn't an easy choice, as I say. And I just want to just, as, we, as I finish this, I want to just explore a little bit about some of the aspects of what it means to be a forgiving people. So in the pattern of Christ, who gave up everything so that you and I may be forgiven, we're called to be a people who model forgiveness and reconciliation. And that isn't something that comes easy for many of us. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. Just think about what he was saying there, about what was being done to him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 1 Peter 2 says, when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And here's a really important thing about forgiveness. It's not about condoning things that happen. That's a separate thing. Forgiveness is about setting the person free that we're forgiving and actually also setting ourselves free from the pain that unforgiveness can bring in our lives. And trusting the God who is just and good to work it out to do what needs to be done in those relationships. That's a hard thing because it actually can feel like death when you give up the right to hurt, when you give up the right to help to bear a grudge. It can feel like death. And only the Holy Spirit in us and working in us can do that. And actually, some, for some of us, it takes a whole lifetime of going to the cross, going to the cross. I choose to forgive. I want to forgive God. Help me. I can't forgive. Please help me saying that prayer, going to the cross and allowing his Holy Spirit to gently do his work in our hearts. And I please hear me, I'm not saying this is an easy thing for lots of people, but that's what the call is for each of us, to go to the cross with these things. Think about Stephen, 
the the first Christian martyr, when he was being stoned to death because he had spoken the truth about Jesus to people. Think about him. Being stoned to death and he looks up to heaven and as he died, he prayed to God that God would not hold it against the people who were doing this to him. How do you do that? How do you have all that anger and hate happening to you and then you're in such a place with God that you turn to him and you go, don't hold this against them, God. I think Stephen knew that God is just and he will deal with wrongdoing. He, is, he will bring justice to bear, but he'll do it in his way and the calling is for us to leave that with him. I think Stephen knew that God doesn't take it lightly when his children are mistreated. He is good and just and he will deal with it. Do you trust him enough to be a good father who will deal with it well and to leave the hurt and the pain and the unforgiveness at the cross? How does this make you feel at the moment? Just, just take a little check in your soul at the moment, in your hearts. How are you feeling? And, and if there is a kind of edge... A, a, an edge to it in your heart, just, can I encourage you, just give it to God. Ask God to show you his way in this. It's not very Hollywood, this message, is it? You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. Liam Neeson, I will hunt you down and I will find you. It's not very Hollywood. But those aren't the words of Jesus. And those aren't the words of the people of Jesus. What I, think, what I think why we like those films, and I like those films, is because we have a real sense of justice. We want to see justice done. And I think that's a good thing. But I think it's not up to us to make that justice happen. We're called to leave it at the cross. I was hoping John White would be here because I'm going to quote Shakespeare now. I don't think he is. So could you just tell him that I've done that? Oh, is he? All right. Yeah, I'm, I've been discipled by John. He's a big Shakespeare fan. And um, I just remember, you know, in Romeo and Juliet, it says, three civil brawls, bread of an airy word. And it, there it's talking about one little word can lead to something really big. Three, uh, um, three civil brawls, bread of an airy word, this idea that if we give in to the unforgiveness, to the resentment, to the hurt that is in us, what happens is it ping-pongs and it gets bigger and bigger. Have you, do you know that story of Samson in Judges where um, Samson's wife has been given to someone else? And um, it's a really strange story. Uh, I like a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, but it's a story of revenge and it's a story of what happens when someone takes on revenge for themselves. And what Samson does is he catches a load of foxes, I think 300 foxes it says, and he ties the foxes together into bunches, puts torches on their tails. It's creative revenge this. Puts torches on their tails, lit lit a, a naked flame, and sends them into the fields of the Philistines so that it burns down all their crops as a revenge thing. And then later on in the passage, it says that when the Philistines learn that this is what Samson has done, they come and they kill uh, some of the people close to him and his family. And then he goes and does the same back, and it just escalates. It's a story of revenge and what happens if we allow that to work its way out in our lives. 
Forgiveness is about setting someone free and then finding out that that someone is you. It happens in families, doesn't it? It's happened in my family. Sad that a word said becomes harbored and then relationships just get, they don't work. And people harbor bitterness. And I've seen it. I've seen people who have unforgiveness and what it does to them, it damages them. I once heard someone say, unforgiveness is a bit like drinking a a glass of poison and hoping the other person dies. It's, it's like that. That's what it does to us. It just works its way out. And I've seen it. In, I've seen it in my family where something has been said and just the bitterness that grows and grows. It can happen within the family of God. I, I've, unfortunately, you know, I've been in churches where there's been unforgiveness and it just wrecks it. It's not what God wants. It wrecks it. It wrecks relationships and it brings hurt and pain. Let us be a people who go to the cross with these things. This is the way of Jesus. The only way to do it is to come daily to him, to say, help me, Jesus, with this. Let your peace be the referee in my heart. Help me to forgive Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He gave up his rights so that we could be forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How can we, if we really know the forgiveness of God, stay in a place of unforgiveness? How can we do that? That's what the Lord's Prayer is saying, really. Until we are in a place where we are able to uh, be in a place where our heart's desire is to forgive, we're actually limiting what God has done on the cross for you and me. This is why before communion, we'll often say the peace. Don't come to the table of the Lord, which is symbolizing the forgiveness that he has done on the cross for you and me. Don't come to it when you're bearing a grudge and resentment to someone else. We don't do it often in this church, actually, the peace. But that's why it's done. Because it's saying, this is a, this is a sacred table. It symbolizes, whatever you think about communion, it's sacred because it symbolizes the central action of God dying on the cross so that you and I could know forgiveness. I need to know forgiveness. I'm so thankful for the mercy and forgiveness in my life. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? In his kindness, God leads us to the cross so we can experience true freedom and so that his church can fully reflect the way of Jesus. But it starts with a surrender to him to say, help me be someone who goes to the cross with these things. Show me the most excellent way. Fill me with your spirit. I want to, uh, if the band could come up, please. Um, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to this. We've got a cross here. And I think if, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about this, if there is, if there is some unforgiveness in you if, you, if you, if you know there is unforgiveness in your family, like I've mentioned in mine, and you want to just bring it to the cross, actually coming and standing around this cross, sometimes the physical act of doing something, of bringing that 
physically to, and we've got this, we've got this opportunity, haven't we, with the cross here. In a moment when the band play, I'm going to invite you to come to the cross. If there is something in your life that, God's, that the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on, that he's saying, I want you to bring this to the cross. I want you to bring this thing to the cross. Then please come around the cross and just before God say, I surrender to you, Jesus. I bring it to the cross as an act of submission to him. Can I invite you all to stand, please? I'm going to read the words of Psalm 139, 23 to 24 as a prayer, if you like, um, to God. And this prayer asks God to search our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I'll say that one more time. Make it your prayer if this is what you want to do. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So as the band lead us in a song, just come forward, spend a bit of time at the cross, then go back to your seat and then we're going to take communion together.